Now, if everyone would take out your Bibles and turn to the book of James, we are in a series called Developing a Faith That Works, and we often say in order for faith to work, it's got to work for us first, right? Hard to share your faith if it's not working for us, and God wants it to work for us. Now, today, James is going to help us be wise with our money. He's going to help us to be wise with our wealth. And so, let's dive into this thing. Is it wrong to make a decent living? Is it wrong to have more than enough? Let's just cut to the chase. Is it wrong to be rich? You know, someone says, Bruce, well, you know, my Bible says money is the root of all evil. Have you ever heard someone say that? And you know what I say? Well, what Bible are you using? Because here's what my Bible says. Paul, writing to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, he says it a little differently. For the, what's the next word? Love of money is the root. Of all evil. As a matter of fact, I think the NIV says all kinds of evil. And so money's not the problem. It's the love of money. Are you getting this? Money is just money. It's neither good nor bad. It's an inanimate object. You can use money for good. You can use money for evil. It's the love of money that God is condemning. God is not opposed to wealth. If He was then he better take back everything he gave to Father Abraham because Abraham was a rich man. And Job, have you ever read the book of Job? You know how the first chapter begins? There was a man who lived in the land of Uz. Not Oz, but Uz. He was the richest man in all the East, which was the world at that time. The richest man in all the world. Bill Gates had nothing on Job, man. I mean, he was rich. And then we read, as we move further into the New Testament, about a king named David. And did you see everything he contributed to the building of the temple? And what David had was nothing compared to the riches of his son Solomon. People came from all over the world to to see the riches of Solomon. And the Queen of Sheba says, and the half has not even been told, and I've seen it with my own eyes. Now, God doesn't oppose wealth. But what God does oppose is the misuse and the abuse of wealth. Now, in New Testament times, you need to understand something. There was no middle class. Kind of like today, the middle class is being drowned out, right? For the one percent and then the half a percenters. It's all kind of rigged toward the top, isn't it? 
And the middle class is disappearing fast, rapidly in our generation. But in the first century, you either were very rich or you were very poor. There was no in-between. And the rich were abusing the poor, as is often the case. Now I remind you this morning, who was James writing to? The church. So even in the church, you mean church people would abuse their wealth? Oh, like that never happens today? Oh no, we would never do that. No, they did that. And James is lashing out at the abuse and misuse of their wealth. Now let me let you in on a little something. By the world standards, if you live in the United States of America, compared, I'm talking to the world, six plus billion, is it seven billion now? We are rich. Do any of you own a second change of clothing? Can I see your hand? You are rich. Most of the world owns what they have on their back. I'm comparing us to the world now, okay? I'm not comparing us to, you know, Beverly Hills, you know. I'm not talking about that. But compared to the world, does anyone own a car? <laughs> or maybe making payments, but, you know, it's, it's yours. got your name on it. You're rich. Own a house? You're in the top 5% of the world. Here's one I think everyone can relate to. Has anyone ever gone out to a restaurant and paid someone to cook your food and then serve it to you? Can I see your hand? Did you ever do that? Some of you say, yeah, golden arches, but, you know, yeah, restaurant. We are rich compared to the world's standards. Now, I'm not saying that to make anyone feel guilty this morning. What I'm saying that is to make us aware of what's going on. We are truly blessed. Now, in typical James fashion, what he does today is what he sort of has been doing throughout the book. He will show us the problem, but then he'll also show us the solution. Let's take a look at the problem first. Let's look at the wrong use of our wealth. The wrong use. First issue that James has with the church is the accumulation of wealth. The accumulation for the sake of accumulation. And what he's saying is, don't hoard it. Don't hoard it. Verse 3, you have hoarded wealth in the last days. God wants his money. God wants his things. God wants his stuff that he's blessed us with to be put into circulation, not be put in stockpiles. Now, He's not talking about saving for the future. He's not saying you can't have a retirement plan. No, those things are biblical. Those things, there's wisdom behind that. Those are a good thing. That's not what he's talking about. That's not what he's addressing in this text. And that's not what we're talking about this morning. God is against getting more for the sake of getting more. You remember that parable he told about this rich dude? He thought he was so smart. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my old barns, and I'm going to build bigger barns, and I'm going to stuff them with more stuff. That's not put it into use, not help anybody out, all for him just to look at. Stockpiled funds, food, and everything else. Every now and then you'll read in the newspaper about maybe some elderly person dying, 
and they find him, and they go into the house, and the mattress is stuffed with, like, millions of dollars. And everyone goes, whoa, I didn't know they had that much money. I mean, they're just kind of living day to day, and but they're rich beyond their means. Money was not put to use. Didn't help them, didn't help anybody else. In James's day, they hoarded their wealth. They did it in three ways. Number one, they stockpiled food. Number two, they collected clothes. And number three, they gathered precious metals. Notice the text. Your wealth has rotted. What rots? Food. They had so much food. You ever go out to a restaurant, you can't eat it all? Oh, so full. I'll take it home, box it up, take it, put it in the refrigerator. Now I'll eat it tomorrow. Next day comes, you don't eat it, but you go back out, and you buy some more, and you can't eat it all, so you put it in the refrigerator. Next day, next... You, but before long, that stuff in the refrigerator looks like mold, right? You throw that stuff out. Stockpiled. If you went in your pantry today, you might find cans with, you know, from like the 1800s of food. I mean, sometimes you, you use it, eat it, or give it away, all right? Stockpiled food rots. Moths have eaten your clothes. What kind of clothes get moth eaten? Unused clothes, stockpiled clothes. If you were to go through your closets and your drawers at home, you'll find stuff in there that no longer fits. But you're hanging on to it. You let enough years go by when you go, finally, I need to give that to someone else that can use it because this waistline is not going down. But rather than give it away, they hoarded it and they kept it. And finally, when they brought it out for use, it was moth-eaten. Stockpile clothes get moth-eaten. What corrodes? Your money that does not get put into circulation. Stockpiled money. And so his first, his first point is, the wrong use of wealth is to not put it into circulation. Number two, his second issue with the church was the appropriation of wealth. Don't steal it. Make your money honestly is what he's saying. Verse 4. The wages you have, watch this, failed to pay. You owe someone, but you failed to pay. Does that apply to anyone in here today? Do you owe somebody something that you have failed to pay? In this day of time, they had workers. The workmen who mowed your fields, you have failed to pay. And they're crying out against you. There's not much they can do about it, but cry out. See, in biblical times, you went to work in the morning, you worked a field, and at the end of the day, you received your wage. You didn't go a whole week, you'd starve. People were poor. It was hand-to-mouth existence. And let's just say you're a rich, wealthy landowner. But you're corrupt. You'd hire a crew. They would come and plow your fields. They would mow. They would harvest. They would do whatever you asked them to do. But at the end of the day, you say, I just don't like the job you guys did today. I'm not going to pay you. Can you imagine? 
You've just worked from sunup to sundown. You're hungry. You have nothing to eat and no paycheck. That was going on. No labor laws like we have today. No one to run to for help. They had them paid off. Do you see the problem here? You say, well, I'd never do that to anybody. Have you ever sold something to somebody that you knew didn't work quite right? You ever sold a car and really built it up and said, man, this car here is a jewel. It's, man, it's given me 100,000 really good miles. I got a new one now, but it's time to get rid of this old one. But it runs like a dream, but you failed to tell them the stuff that doesn't work quite right. Uh, we all fall into this trap. You ever fudge just a little bit on your taxes? Oh, it's just a little bit. Have you ever wasted time at work doing this, whatever this is? I, I got one of those old phones that mine doesn't do this. It's a form of stealing, right, when you're wasting your employer's time. So don't hoard it. Don't steal it. And then the third issue he has is the allocation of wealth. Don't waste it. I mean, just because you got it, don't flaunt it and don't waste it. Verse 5, you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. All about me? Nothing about anybody else? One of the greatest temptations we have, if we make a lot of money, is to spend a lot of money all on ourselves. And we justify it. We say, but I'm worth it. I worked hard. Why can't I spend it? I can afford it. Just because you can afford something doesn't mean that you ought to buy it. Not if you're thinking of others, right? Number four, the application of wealth. Don't abuse it. Verse six, you have condemned and ruined what kind of men? Innocent men. That's that guy that worked hard in your field and you failed to pay. He's an innocent man. You're abusing him. And they are powerless. What does he mean by that? Powerless to stop you. See, money gives you the edge. When you have a lot of money, you've got a lot of power. And power can be easily abused. And in James' time, the rich were taking advantage of the poor, as in the illustration I gave earlier. And so here this fellow goes, well, if you don't pay me for the work that I did, I'm going to go to the judge. The problem was the rich dude had already beat you to the judge and bribed the judge, and you're still going to lose. Do you see this? Corruption like that still takes place. It happens all the time. And we cry out for justice. One day God's going to make everything right. If you've been cheated, if you've been abused, if people have stolen from you, Don't you worry about that. God's going to take care of you, and one day he's going to set everything right that's so wrong about this world. Amen? Look forward to that day. People still abuse money. I've heard of cases where someone says, well, if you don't do such and such, I'm taking you out of the wheel. Look at the manipulation. Look at the power of that. You know, especially if you've got a big wheel. 
Or someone comes to the preacher and says, well, preacher, I'm not really sure I like the doctrine that you're preaching. And you know, I'm a pretty good tither. Look at look what I'm planning on giving next week. If you just change your teaching to fit my suiting, not your suiting, not the Bible suiting, not what God's word actually says, or I'm going to withhold my contribution. No one would ever do that today, right? Happens all the time. It's a misuse of wealth. Well, those are the misuses. Don't hoard it. Don't steal it. Don't waste it. And don't abuse it. But I love this about James. He doesn't just show the problem. He says, here's the proper use of your money. Here's the proper use of the wealth that you are blessed with. It is God who gives the power and the ability to get wealth. So it all comes from him. The right use is this. First of all, have the right accumulation. In other words, you accumulate money not to stockpile it or hoard it, but you save money faithfully for a rainy day, for retirement, when it will come in handy, when there's a need. Everyone should have some savings. Proverbs 21.20 says this, The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. Proverbs 30.24 Consider the ant and how it stores up in the winter. See, it stores up. There's, there's a time for saving. However, here in America, the average American only saves about 4% of his income. The average European, 16%. And in Japan, 25% of their income, they save. Why do Americans save so little? I think we kind of grew up with a live-for-today society. We see the commercials, get it, get it, get it, buy it, buy it, buy it. And if you can't afford it right now, credit card it. Cha-ching, so easy. I read something this past week. I want to say a word to the millennials in our audience. Did you know you millennials are not saving as much as the previous generations? And you know who you are if you're a millennial. This is a, you can read this online. The guy's name was Dan Cadlick, K-A-D-L-E-C. And I've shortened what he said, but the gist, of it is, the gist of it is this. And he's talking about New Year's resolutions. Every New Year, millennials pledge to spend less and save more, but it is a largely futile exercise. A year ago, 59% of those polled set a goal of saving more for retirement over the next 12 months, but only 31% did so. According to the report, according to this report, likewise, 51% committed to paying down debt, but only about 38% did so. And on cue, when talked to about this, 68% of them promise to do better. Guess when? Next year. Next year. These numbers are not flat out terrible. Roughly a third in the survey have made progress, right? Saving and paying off debt. But that leaves two-thirds that either failed to never try, and half of those who tried but failed said, they wish they'd save more. 
They save some, but not enough. Nearly half a millennial say that they would dig into their savings or investments to pay for a big purchase that they could not afford. That's about twice the rate, twice the rate of older generations. Nearly two in three millennials justify a large expense. And here's an example of a large expense, like a trip, if it produces lasting memories. That's three times the rate of older generations. My Bible says, the wise man saves for the future. I don't care what age you are. Millennial, Gen X, baby boomer, we need to save. It's a biblical principle. Amen? John D. Rockefeller said, I save 10%, I tithe 10%, and I live on 80%. He didn't come up with that on his own. That's biblical. He found that in the Bible, the book. It's a biblical principle. So learn contentment with what you have. Here's a good saying. Use it up, wear it out, make it do, or do without. The Christian saves for stewardship reasons. Not for security reasons. Let me give you three reasons for saving. Number one, look up here. It prevents us from impulse buying. Are you one of those people that walk into the store, you hadn't planned on buying this, but oh man, what a good deal. It's on sale today. I got the money today. I came in here for this, but I got to have that too. No, no, no. Catch yourself, all right? And if you're one of those people that, you know, tends to overuse a credit card, take it home today. Every now and then, you're going to need one, all right? So I'm not saying cut it up. Some may need to. But a good advice is put it in a cup of cold water, a plastic cup. Put it in your freezer. Let it freeze. And then when you get that urge to buy as you're watching the Home Shopping Channel, and they say, get your credit card out now, well, you've got to wait for it to thaw before you can use it, all right? It helps you with your impulse buying. Number two, it allows us to be able to help other people when they have a need. See, if you save, and now you've got something and somebody else, maybe due to no fault or their own, is in trouble, you can now help out a family member or a friend. And number three, it gets your money working for you rather than you working for your money. So, the right accumulation. Save money faithfully. It's a biblical principle. Number two, the right appropriation. James would say, make money honestly. In other words, don't steal it. Don't shortchange people. Proverbs 14, 23. Hard work brings a profit. Mere talk leads to poverty. If all you talk about is work, but you never do any work, don't come to me with your hand out. Because my Bible says, if a man doesn't work, neither let him eat. Now, Notice what it does not say. If a man cannot work, that's different. Either due to illness, an injury, sickness, a disability. That's where the church comes in. That's where social services come in. That's where we need to be there to help. But we've got to have some savings to help. Are you seeing this? That's the difference. So, How much can I make? How much can I make? 
The Bible says you can make all you want. It's not how much, but how you make it. Here's some qualifications up on the screen. You can make as much as you want as long as it doesn't hurt your health, your family, others, or your spiritual life. There's got to be a balance. 3 John 2 says this, I pray that you may prosper even as your soul prospers. James is praying for the church, or John's praying for his church in his day saying, you know what, I want you all to be really, really rich. As rich as you are spiritually. Now if that were the case for you today, would your account be up? Or would your account be down this morning? I pray that you may prosper even as your soul prospers. Is what the Bible says. Number three. James wants us to have the right allocation. In other words, spend your money wisely. Don't waste it on frivolous stuff. Proverbs 21.5 The plans of the diligent lead to profit as sure as haste leads to poverty. In other words, you plan your earning. you got a job. You're going to get up tomorrow morning. You're going to go to work. You're planning your earning. But he says, equally plan your spending. In other words, have a budget. Have you noticed that it's a whole lot easier to get into debt than it is to get out of debt? Of course. But, you know, we get into this credit card mentality just 162 easy payments (laughs) folks i've never met an easy payment how about you they're all hard don't fall for that stuff i don't know about you but uh, a lot of folks tend to overspend at christmas time now, I want you to think back. Christmas season is upon us. I mean, if you don't believe me, go to the, the malls, go to the stores. Costco, I think, has had Christmas stuff out for a month already. I mean, it's like 102 degrees, and we're like fake snow, right? And they're trying to get you set up right now to overspend. Those of you that overspent last Christmas, don't fall for it this Christmas. You don't have to overspend to bless somebody's life. Don't get into debt. Don't fall into that trap. They're going to love you just as much with a very small appropriate gift as they would with something lavish that you can't afford and have no business buying. The key really is to budget. James just breaks it down. He says, save faithfully. Make an honest living and spend your money wisely. And then the fourth thing, and we'll wrap it up with this, James would say, you better have the right application. In other words, give money generously. Don't abuse it. Don't be stingy with it. Be open-fisted for the right reasons. But give it generously. Proverbs 11.24 says, It is possible to give, to give away and become richer. Now, I know that doesn't make any sense in the physical realm. I mean, in the physical, if I give it, then they have it, and I don't. That's kind of the way it looks in the physical. But when you're obeying God, and I have it, and I give it, in God's economy, I can still have more. But Bruce, that doesn't make any sense. Ask any economist. That's not how it works. 
In God's economy, I'm talking about here, friends. I'm not talking about world economics. God has a way of multiplying that which we give. It is also possible to hold on too tightly and lose everything. Yes, the generous man shall be rich. By watering others, he waters himself. It's the principle of sowing and reaping is the idea. Someone says, well, you can't take it with you. That's true, but you can send it on ahead. How do you do that? You send your blessing and your fortune ahead of you by investing it in others. You invest it in God's people, in God's church, in God's word, in missionaries, in Bible class materials, in gospel tools. Look at this parable, or the end of a parable in Luke chapter 16 and verse 9. You know this parable, but it's got this weird twist at the end. I want you to understand it. So I say to you, use worldly wealth, the stuff you have right here in this world. See? Because the next world, you're not going to need this, okay? So use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. So then when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What kind of dwellings? Eternal. Now think about this for a moment. If we really believe in a God, and we really believe in a place called heaven, and that through God's grace we're going to get to go there one day, then we need to believe this verse. And we need to do what this verse says to do it. Use our worldly wealth to gain friends through the use of the gospel. People hearing the message who will be in heaven that go before us. I want to ask you a question. When you get to heaven, who's going to be there to welcome you? Who have you invested in in this life? I came to this church March 4th 1979, and my wife and I have been giving to something called India Calls. We call it Coco today, India Children's Fund, Church of Christ Charitable Organization, and we still give to that. We give to other things as well. But that was like 38 years ago. We started giving to this. People have died since then in India. And I can imagine as I get to heaven, somebody walking up to me and saying, Bruce, I don't know you, and you don't know me, but you were a part of a church that believed in doing missions. And part of your funds went to the preaching of the gospel. And I'm in heaven today in part because of you. Welcome into heaven. Manuelito Children's Home, Ensenada, Mexico, City of Children. We've been giving to these things for years at this church. I can imagine some, someone saying, you don't know me, but I was abandoned by my parents, and I was raised in a children's home. Mike and Diane, you guys have been to Manuelito, haven't you? 
Chino Hills. You guys served over there? You don't know me, but part of the money that you gave through your church went to the care and feeding of us orphans. And I'm now in heaven in part because of you. Welcome to heaven. Upward basketball, those of you that are donating, those of you who have given your time, your service, working in snack checks, working in hours, working in recruiting, all that stuff, the paperwork that has to go on, and the headaches that go, is it doing any good at all? And, and there are years that the, you know, where, 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 all this work, thousands of man hours if you add it all up. But I don't know what's going on in the hearts of those little children as they get under the basket at halftime and I blow the whistle and and their coach teaches them about Jesus. Or I get an opportunity like I did yesterday a number of times to stand before their parents at halftime and share just a word about God. I just kind of imagine someday when I get to heaven, someone from upward basketball, upward sports and cheerleading coming to me and saying, Bruce, you don't know me, but you spoke at a halftime and that got me thinking, I've got a God-given spiritual shape, and I'm not putting that into service, and you challenged me to get plugged into a Bible-believing church. See, I did this yesterday, and I did. I got saved, and I'm in heaven, in part because of you. Who's going to be in heaven because of you? Use your worldly wealth in the appropriate way, James would say. And now we will pray. And that all rhymes, doesn't it? (laughs) You know, God really does want you to be financially free. And if your finances are in a mess, that's probably a symptom of a much bigger problem. An unmanageable life. Because you see, when our finances are a mess, usually our life is too. Which of these principles have you been violating? Have you been saving money faithfully, like the Bible says? Have you been making your money honestly? Have you been spending your money wisely? Have you been giving money generously? All of these are important. To leave any one of them out is going to short-circuit God's plan for your best. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that as we've looked at your word today through the book of James, through the lens of this chapter in particular, that you will apply it to our lives, that we will take it and use it as a testimony of how you want us to use our finances so the world will know that you are God. Help us to seek first the kingdom of God, knowing that it's all yours and all these things shall be added to us. We pray that will become managers of your wealth and that you'll become the manager of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.